we have looked before in this area, and we look again because the need for the body of Christ is constantly, I would say, updating, and there is a bit of a circulation. In other words, because of human behavior, we sometimes go through cycles, cycles of emotion, cycles of feeling, cycles of thought, and we will loop and come back to another place. So oftentimes the Holy Spirit will remind us of something that he's already said to us, just to draw our attention back to that place and say, I've talked about this with you and to you before, and I'm talking about this to you now. So we look at the subject, Jesus on materialism. Just what is and what defines having this in Jesus' character. The Bible tells us that he is our example in all things, and he's the one that we should consult, look to, and look at. So when we look at Jesus, the author, the, the finisher of our faith, and we consider his way, we understand that that is exactly <coughs> what he wants us to understand, the way he is and the way he moves, and the way he thinks about things. And if I were a student of the word, which I try to be, I would try to say, Jesus, the way you were looking at this issue, the way you were dealing with it, I want to deal with it that way. I want to look at, from your perspective, how you felt about the things you were encountering, so that I myself might be able to walk uh, more steadfastly in your way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. says to us, and from the King James, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God <coughs> and mammon. You cannot be, in other words, in two places, at one time. You must choose to locate yourself in one camp or the other. It's either the service of God or it's the service of mammon or filthy lucre or money. These two types of places exist and the option for us to say is, do I want to serve God with my whole self? Or do I or am I going to be divided and separated into another pursuit? My, my prayer and my hope would be that you would say, no, actually, I want to serve God. I want him to be the one that I give myself to. As you see, the display there is, is quite distinct. The topic, for those who have the PDF, if you can see, it says define necessity. What, what actually is needful for my life? On the left half, you have a very stark image of children reaching for what probably is bread or water, some basic need. You see their, their stomachs swollen from lack of nutrients. Now, individuals put these images out sometimes, unfortunately, to gather sympathy without alleviating the actual root of the problem. 
But we're showing this as a contrast between someone who says, what I actually need is food and water. And on the right half, you see the abundance of those who have so much that their shopping carts and their arms are overflowing, literally spilling out with more than they actually need. Are you seeing this? So when you ask yourself, what is a necessity for my life? What do I actually need? Last week we touched on this subject when we deal with uh, being covetous or covetism. How that a person can have enough and still want more. They could see something that someone else has and they want to say, well, I want what she has. I want what he has. As opposed to saying, well, what do I have? And maybe I should be satisfied, content was the word, with what God has given me. And we also balance that out by saying contentment does not mean staying in one place. Contentment grows and steps forward as the need arises. And we gave the example of a child wearing a, size, a small size shoe. And then as that child begins to grow, the parent would naturally say, my son, my daughter needs a larger shoe. That is not greed. That is the necessity. The contentment level is still there. You're still grateful for the shoes that that child has, but you recognize a need for expansion. There's a growth. That point has shifted, has moved. Therefore, we must go to a larger space. Same with a family, a growing young family, having children, saying we need another bedroom, we need another, another resource here, so they would have to move to a bigger house. That's not greed. That's necessity pushing the process, but the contentment is still within the spirit of man to say, what I have, I am thankful for. So your progress is within the confines of contentment. You never leave contentment. So the step beyond that covetous area is what we call materialism, materialistic, someone who is plugged into the physicality of every single thing. It's more important to them to have the materials than to have the substance or the spirit of what they're doing. We use as an example a group of individuals, as you can see in the, in the uh, next slide there, what a scribe is or what a scribe does in Jesus' day, this person was literally someone who was looking at the scripture themselves, translating for the people the manuscripts and presenting to them what God had given through the prophets, having the record of the prophets in tow, going about the law of Moses, having that also in tow, saying what is and what is not in the mind of God. Luke chapter 20, Jesus, again, being our example, has some very keen observations. And from his observations, again, we take our point of, of paying attention to what he's doing. Uh, let's see, 246, let me go back to the page here. So Luke chapter 20, the pages are stuck together. Here we go. 
and 46. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogue and the chief rooms at feasts. Verse 47. Which devour widows' houses for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. Now, you say, well, Jesus, you have a, a, a funny way of looking. This is, this is a, a person who is in an uh, official office, and you're looking at them in a way that we would not expect. But what Jesus' understanding is that the original functional position of the scribe was to faithfully translate and to record the prophetic words, the words from God to the people. And that's a very basic function. But what they had become over time were persons who were sitting literally in opposition to the people, sitting as it were above them because they were the ones with the responsibility for communicating, quote-unquote, what God is saying or what the Word is saying. They become very pious, very insulated, very controlling of the information and seeing themselves as ones who were above the people, apart from them, and therefore had no reason to follow the very scriptures that they were transcribing. So Jesus is seeing this process saying, that is not the original intent or intention. You have moved away from your purpose and become another type of character, which is causing you to behave in a way that is not conducive to the plan. Are you understanding? So when Jesus talks about materialism, it's not just one physical place. It goes across the board. You can be materialistic in your attitude even with regard to your position, whether in the body of Christ or in the world. That your connection with that function is so materialistic that the actual spiritual point and the spiritual motivation has gone out. He says in Matthew 23, 13, But woe to you, scribes, eat Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Again, so from having a position where you're supposed to help and assist people to get closer to God, the scribe had become one who was instituting, especially the Pharisees, and bringing in additional laws and rituals from their own perspective, changing, therefore, what the people of God should be seeing from God into something else. So when Jesus, I, I love the way he moves, and he were to walk into this room or any other, within a scan, everything is read. Everyone is read. Every condition is read. There's nothing outside of his, his <laughs> preview. There's nothing outside of his observation. And so he saw in a moment what had become a religious system, not his intended purpose. 
And this is what I love about God, the creator. Everything that he has made and created has its function and purpose. And all I need to do is ask him, Daddy God, what is the f true function? If I said about the church, how do you want the church to function? Let me begin with myself. Daddy God, how do you want my life to function? Look through me right now and realign and adjust me where I need to be adjusted. Am I being materialistic in this area or that area? Am I thinking in, in a carnal way so as to, to pull myself out of the center of your focus? Hence, when we pray, we realign ourselves with the Spirit of God by saying, Daddy God, you lead me and guide me into all truth. So when Jesus comes into this picture here, he's addressing the scribes and he's giving them a wall and a rebuke and saying, look, you're being hypocritical. You're shutting an avenue that I want open. You're blocking and you're preventing people from seeing the true method of God, reasons of God, ways of God by your actions and your activity. I never intended for you to swan around in your long robes like you were the most important person in the room. We saw it back in the day in our, in our human development. We would see on Sundays uh, certain persons coming to the church. It was like a fashion show. People were wearing all kinds of arrays and, and getting and gaining attention. And people were in awe. They were impressed by the alligator shoes or the, I don't go to too many different brand names, but all the brand name suits and the, the everything was a gala. Everything was a, the, pre, the spectacle was so great. The light of the person was so bright that you couldn't see Christ. All you could see was the display, the array. We have the same effect with some of our cathedrals made in such an opulent way that the, the viewer, we'll see that a little bit later in this story, is drawn into the materialistic, you see. If your, if your display is such that people are hawk up, I remember one time, by the grace of God, this was a, a, in my, of course in my youth, I didn't have much, but I had a little bit at that time, a little bit of jewelry. I had a, a gold ring, had a, a gold watch, gold bracelet, and I would, Come to the place of testimony. I call the ministry, the, the where we're standing now, the place of testimony. And I, I remember becoming so irritated because I caught the, the glimpse of some people in the front row. When I would wave my hand, their eyes would follow the gold watch and follow it back. And I said, wait a minute. This, they're looking at watching my, my hand. Oh, they're looking at this watch. And I became so irritated, I began to pull off the rings and put them on the, the pulpit and take off the watch and strip all the jewelry off of my fingers and hands and said, my God, are, are we living that low? And then I said, Daddy God, may I never be a distraction to the people. May the way I, I dress and present myself not become the thing. Are you understanding but the scribes were doing the opposite. They, they intentionally dressed themselves up to be noticed, to be set apart from everyone else. 
You see, this whole culture of robes and colors and ornate hats, it's not new. It's not a new phenomenon. If we stripped you down and put you in a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, could you not declare the gospel of Jesus Christ? Of course you could. And there is a balance, because I can hear many things in the spirit. There is a balance there. When we come to the house of God, we make, we make a presentation of ourselves, and we fall back to the mindset that God himself had a requirement in the Old Testament that the priest wore certain garments. But he did that under the understanding, I am presenting my person to you, the congregation, to officiate in my office. And he wanted the distinction to be there. And if you are moving in that mindset, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. But if you are in the pharisaical or the scribe's mindset, you want the people to look at you as if you were the source. You are incorrect and need to be corrected now. Right. When you go to your job or to your school, to your lecture hall, you present yourself. Many of our students right here in the UK are, are compelled to wear school uniforms. There's a certain presentation that is expected in a certain environment. If you're at a graduation ceremony, you're expected to wear your robes. There, there, is a, there is a protocol. What we are striving for, ladies and gentlemen, is balance. So that when Jesus walks into the room, metaphorically we're saying this, and he does a scan of our motives and our methods, he will see that our heart is not exalted above measure. That though you may be sitting there in your finery, your finery is not the end result of the presentation. When Moses went into the presence of God, the glory came on him from being in the presence of God so that when he came out of the glory of God, the presence of God, his face shone to the point he had to put a, a veil over his face as that glory began to recede. He veiled himself so that people couldn't see the, the fading. Showing us that that particular anointing has its limits. So all of your regalia, all of your finery, we will find the moths having their lunch in it at some point. Your finest dress and gown, it will go away. So that cannot be your glory, ladies and gentlemen. That cannot be... I see people spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on shoes. And, and to the untrained eye, you would look and say, oh, it's a pair of shoes. And they would go ballistic because they paid 5,000 pounds. And you just called them a pair of shoes. They would say, oh, no, do you know what these are? They want you to know how much these cost. Because their glory is in that paraphernalia. The scribes wanted people to see them as being God's person. Jesus called them hypocrites. Made it, made it very, very simple. When we look at his, again, his reactions to situations, they are dissimilar to the actions of men. They are not like the actions of men. They are indeed beyond. Luke 21, 
<laughs> Oops, <laughs> 1 through 4. Let's get over to Luke 21, 1 through 4. I had to make sure that I was on the same page with you there. So Luke 21, uh, this is, yeah, this is where we want to be. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And he looked up. This is Jesus. Again, again, we're looking at Jesus' observations of materialism and getting cues from him as to how I should be responding to the world around me. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Goodness, I'll stop right there. We'll go a bit further, but I'll stop right there. So the observation of Jesus, again, he comes in, into this arena from ministering in the, in the temple, and he looks. Now, I love this because you can see God watching you. The Bible says that he was looking as one who is across from, observing. You see, There was a, a, a secular song, and, and the young lady picked up on something. I don't even know if she understood what she was saying, but she said, God is watching us, was a part of her lyric line. She said, God is watching us. But she says, from a distance, we understand that, that God is ever-present. Right. But his observation of me right now, his observation of you right now, he's watching your thought process. He's observing how you are working out your conclusions in your mind. This is for the present hearers and those who will hear online later and around the world whenever. This is true. Whenever you hear this voice, what it's saying will be true at that moment. God is observing. So Jesus put, positions himself across from the activity of the temple to give a clearer observation. Sometimes you have to draw back to get perspective. Sometimes you're too close to an issue to actually see it. You need to step back a bit and ask the Lord, show me what you're seeing right now. Daddy God, make me understand what it is. So he observed two types of persons having action in the temple. One would be called rich, well-off, lacking no material substance, having the well-withal or wherewithal to do what they want. We would say they have disposable income in our day. If you don't want to say rich, if it sounds too posh, just say they have disposable income. They have money and to spare. The other person he observed was someone who was not living on that level. Someone that the Bible does not tell us where she came from, and the Bible does not tell us where she went. The Bible does not tell us at all, yes, does not tell us at all what kind of condition 
she was living in except there was a state of poverty surrounding her to the degree that she was only able to lay her hands on two mites. We understand that those two mites are the smallest of the Jewish coins. We would say a penny. We would go in our pocket and pull out a, a, a copper, as they say. Pull out a copper and throw it in. So she went to the very depth of what she was controlling to produce an offering. Now, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this message preached about this widow's might. Sometimes it's been right. Sometimes it's been wrong. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is impressing on me right now about this observation. Jesus does not attack the rich for being rich. You need to hear this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's not attacking the rich for having riches. You won't see that in the text. It's not there. He didn't say those bad, bad, rich people. No. What did he say? He observed what they gave from their riches. He didn't attack the state of being rich. So for those who say, oh, you don't believe in prosperity. No, I don't believe in a hyper-prosperity message that's not biblical. No, I don't believe in that. I believe you are to be prosperous in God, of course. But I do not believe in a hyper-prosperity message whereby the prosperity becomes the end result and God is left behind in that process of you <coughs> reaching for more. So Jesus comes into the conversation. If I were to look through his eyes, I see him looking at them saying, these individuals are rich in the discussion. But their giving method does not indicate that. Hello. Yes, they are rich. But the level of their giving does not show that. We said at some point, we had a conversation at some point about, I can name three individuals. One of the Rothschilds, I believe, Mr. Branson here in the UK, and I think it was a Microsoft mogul, Bill Gates. Those three persons could feed the world. That's, that's not counting the rest of the 1%. Just those three individuals could feed the world. Could completely wipe out, in some cases, poverty. 14 hours. Amen. Put systems in place that would completely bless and magnify the situations of some. So you have to ask yourself, if God is adjacent to or apart from or watching the behaviors of the humans he's created. Do you not think that he sees the amount of wealth being held by the 1% juxtaposed to the 99? Saying, you are rich. I'm not attacking that. Yes, you are. But your giving does not reflect what you have. Your giving reflects the state of your heart. Jesus on materialism. I see what you have. And I also see how you handle it. How you present it. How you, listen, how you like to display. This is the person who says, I want you to know I'm driving my Range Rover 
phantom, whatever, whatever, by you, but I'm not going to stop and give you a ride. But I want you to know that I have it. And many people, unfortunately, in and out of the church live like that. I want you to know how well I'm doing, but I have no intention on helping you change your situation. I don't have to say God rebuke you. God will rebuke you. Jesus does not say, cast them out of the temple. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, take that offering that the rich man put in there. Take it out because it's insincere. No. They put the offering in. This is the part about God that is mysterious. Though he has the power to intervene at any point in any human activity, and he could have stopped them cold in their track could have paralyzed them. He could have caused them to fall over backwards dead if he wanted to. He's God. And being supreme, he has the power to do whatever. But he does not because he has set a day of judgment in advance. And that day will come. And on that day, he will replay the record of you ignoring the poor, ignoring the needy, being so tight, so stingy, so selfish with your wealth and your jets and your boats and your ocean liners and all that you have and walking past every person you could have blessed on that day. You'll play the tape and you'll see. I had the ability to bless so many people. But I wouldn't do it. Why? I was too materialistic. I was too selfish. I was too busy focused on getting my own, following the money. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that day has already been reserved. Someone said to me, oh, I know I'm going off track a little bit, but I won't go far. I'll just step over to the side and come back. Someone said, oh, if God is so good, so loving, why is there so much suffering in the world? I said, listen, listen. God has already reserved a day. Every filthy and vile murderer will stand before the judgment bar. Nobody is getting away. You say, in this life, I see so much suffering, so much death. God is beyond this life. That's your problem. You're tied into 70 years, 60 years. You're tied in this little bubble. He's beyond your bubble. He has reserved a day of perfect and pure judgment. And every vile dictator who ever murdered, slaughtered, sent to prison, starved to death like Stalin, starved millions of his own people, starved them to death, nothing to eat. They will all stand. We will all stand before the judgment of God. Nobody is getting away. So our encouragement is to say, now while you have time, Jesus is, is watching them. And if they, one person says, you know what? I have more. I can give more. What's withholding you from giving more? He's blessed you. Look how much you have. Why don't you give more? Any one of them could have changed at that moment and said, you know what? I'm going to give more to the church. And I'm only saying because it's in the scripture. You don't have to come to the church to give. And if you think you have to come to church to give, that's another level of deception. Anywhere in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family, there is always the opportunity to give. And not just money. 
time, love, consideration, any resource that God has blessed you with, you have an opportunity to give it. No one's stopping you. What I understand about the Father is that as I am giving, He is giving me more to give. My hand never runs out. The more I give, the more He gives me to give. And it's not a racket. It's not a system. It's a relationship. I'm dealing with a God who gave His only begotten Son. He gave everything. I'm dealing with a Son who gave His life. He gave everything. And as I'm moving into that relationship with God, away from materialism, I find out I am more a giver. I am more like the true nature of Christ that is in me. I don't need a, a, a death threat over my head to give. I don't need a curse swinging over my head to give. I don't need a threat of punishment to give. That's all under the law. We're not living under the law. I don't need that to give. I can measure the amount that God has given and is giving and is giving. So why should I withhold when I have the power to give? The widow, she had the message. She did not know Jesus was standing over there watching her. This is what I love about God. When you're doing right because it's right, the Father is observing what you're doing. There are no secret tears. You think you cried and nobody saw. That's not true. God was right there, catching every tear. It's in the fabric of his memory every time you muttered a prayer in silence. Every time you turned your face to the wall. Oh, they didn't see. No, we didn't see. But the one who actually count, counts, he saw. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, and he sees now. Those who are listening to this message, whatever that private prayer is in your spirit, God is listening to you. We don't know because the story doesn't tell us. But this little woman comes there. What, was her hand trembling? We can be looking at the miracle of God and not even recognize it. The disciples were looking at people. Jesus was seeing into motives. The story doesn't tell us. This little woman could have just gotten off the bed of affliction. The doctors say you won't be walking next week. And there she is putting in two mites. She could have just lost her son. Anything could have happened. We don't know the background of her life. We don't even know what was she going back to. Scripture doesn't tell us. God knows. At that very moment, she made a decision. I am going to give because I love God. I don't care if anybody sees me. I'm not going to hide my offering and slide it into the thing so nobody knows I put two mites in. Daddy God, this is all I have. This is all I've got. I'm not arguing with you. Well, I'm negotiating. Well, God, if I give you five, will you give me ten? No! If I give you fifteen, will you give me fifteen hundred? No! God blesses us because he is a blesser. He blesses us because he loves us. The Bible said, well, I just quoted from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not based on what we did. If it wasn't based then, it's not based now. So the blessing of God extended to this young lady, well, excuse me, widow. Jesus said nothing about her condition beyond poverty. He didn't say, well, now that she's given her two mites, I'm going to send blessing from heaven. No. He didn't say that. He didn't say some elaborate scheme, a promise, now that she has contributed and bought in that now you have blessed me, I'm going to bless you a hundredfold. No. He didn't say that either. He made an observation on the motivation of the hearts of the persons. She, what she's done, the way men think about it, this one put in 2,000 pounds. That one put in two pounds. Well, surely, naturally, that one gave a bigger donation. So we're going to tell Mr. Rogers, we're going to write to Mr. Rogers. We want Mr. Rogers to be a part of our, our members club. We want to invite Mr. Rogers to take up a, a subscription with us. We want Mr. Rogers to sit on our board. Why? Because he brings 2,000 pounds every Sunday. And the one who brought two pounds, well, what can we say? Takes all types. And this is the attitude that comes. That Jesus is checking. You are giving respect to those that you think have money and are doing great. And the ones who are doing little or have little, you despise or disregard. And Christ is checking his own body on this. What you're calling more? No. The one who came and gave everything. You see, it's in relation to your resource. Her giving her all, that's 100%. Compared to you giving maybe 1 or 2% of your abundance. She has actually outgiven you with the two mites. She's done more than your big 2,000 pound offering over here. In the eyes of God. Why is it that way? Because heaven is not broke. Heaven doesn't need your money. So you bringing 10,000, 2,000, 200,000, that's not impressing heaven. Heaven is not moved by that. Your spiritual connection to what you're giving, that's what God is looking at. And if you are sitting there, a millionaire with resources, and you are giving feeding the poor, blessing the homeless. God is saying, you are giving greatly. But if you're doing nothing but building up yourself, another house, another mansion, another whatever, you're giving nothing compared to someone who is bringing their all for God. Do you understand? This is the level that he takes us to. This is the level that he takes us to. So God's perception or godly perception versus the human perception. We said we're going to read a bit further there. And I will do that now. Verse number 5. Again, Luke 21, 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with godly stones and gifts, he said... 
As for these things which ye behold, look at that, which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's verses 5 and 6. So, so Jesus understanding, I know what you're looking at. That's amazing. You can't fool him. You can't say, oh, I wasn't watching that God. Yes, you were. And the way you were looking at it, I, I know how you were looking at it. I know the thought that was going through your mind while you were staring at the opulence. While you had your eyes on that other lady's handbag or that other man's car. While you had your eyes full of materialism, I was looking at your spirit. Seeing the lust in you to want to have that. We would be better to say, Father God, I want what you want for me. Whatever that may be. I want what you want for me. I don't want what they have. I don't want what I'm told I'm supposed to have. I want what you want for me. Therein I will find your contentment. I will find you blessed. So Jesus understanding what the focus of the disciples were. He said, you are looking at the temple. You're looking at the exterior. Your eyes are filled with wonder at the architecture. You're in awe of all this stuff. Jesus on materialism. Let me tell you, there is nothing that you are looking at that will not be destroyed. Wow, what a word. Look around you again. Look around you again. Everything you see will go away. So if you're materialistic, buying into, latching onto, grasping after those things, it's like grasping after the wind. It is a waste of time. We're supposed to hold the possessions that God has entrusted to us responsibly. That's, that's it. Whatever he's given you, you're supposed to responsibly take care of it. Look after it as a steward, as a good steward for God. Are you understanding? Take whatever, whether it's financially, whether, it's, whether that's a, a physical, even your talents and your ability. And if he's blessed you with an incredible brain, you're supposed to take care of it. It's a resource from God to earth for the benefit of mankind. Whatever he's blessed you with. And if we get that into our spirits, I am a good steward of what, what is a steward? One who's looking after. I'm looking after this resource so that I can deliver back to God the glory due to his name. So you, he's saying to the disciples, are focused on the wrong thing. That which you are seeing is going to come down. <clears throat> History shows us the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD after it had been renovated before in 20 BC. Completely destroyed after the rebellion, as you see there in your PDF. 66 AD, the Jewish rebellion was put down by the Romans, and then they destroyed this temple that you are looking at, that you are salivating over, that you are saying is so wonderful, it's so strong, it's built so in such a way. All of that is coming down to rubble. And will be no more. 
And Christ was not laughing about it. He wasn't joking about it. He was matter of fact. If you were bold enough to ask him, what is the end of this process? Where is all of this going, Daddy God? I see them building skyscrapers. There are cranes everywhere. I see men erecting great coliseums. Does that say you shouldn't build anything? No. Again, the devil's a liar. He's always lying in the same direction. It's the understanding of what it is you are doing in conjunction to what God has said will come to pass. So even as you are building that structure, you should be saying, this is a temporary edifice. It will not last forever. So I do not put my trust in it, nor do I put my trust in my bank account or what's in it. It is functional for now. And as we have said, as a responsible steward, I draw out those funds and I support where I am directed to support. So the gospel is preached, the homeless receive shelter, the hungry receive food. I'm looking out after the resources allocated to me by the Holy Spirit to make sure I am a responsible Christian citizen. And I am clinging to none of it. I pray God you're hearing the Holy Ghost right now. I am clinging to none of it. It may easily go out of my hand and I will not be devastated as some are in our dear Chinese locations where people, they had to erect suicide nets around certain buildings because the pressure of succeeding and success was so great that if one failed, they would fain throw themselves off the building, kill themselves because they, I have failed. What a ridiculous deception in many buildings erected suicide nets to prevent the employees from murdering themselves. You see, that's materialism. So stuck into this world that you could kill yourself or someone else. The world says, dog eat dog. Get what you can get. Put one down. Step on their head. Reach for another. Eat them alive. That's the mind of the world. Christ said, that is not the mind of God. So Jesus on materialism, this is a snippet. This is not all. This is not an exhaustive study. We may come back to it next week. We'll terminate here just to let that which has been said sink in a bit. Let it go down into your spirit. Go back to the PDF. Go back to the scriptures. I love looking at Jesus. I love it. I love it. Look at him again. Listen to what he's actually saying. See his observations. That's the mind of God. There was a popular, uh, uh, what was it, a little thing they had out many years ago. I mean, what would Jesus do? And everybody's wearing a little rubber bracelet. What would Jesus Well, if you don't read the scripture, you don't know what Jesus would do. Because what Jesus would do is what Jesus did. So go read what he did. Then you'll know what he would do in a situation. How would he look at the temple? How would he see the process of giving? How would he observe the interaction between one human being and another? What Jesus, who is living in you by the Holy Spirit, is talking to you now. He said, look through my eyes. See what I see. 
Don't be colored by religion and doctrine. What does the Bible say about me? And what did I say in the scripture? We say, Father God, we want to follow you. Let's rise together and receive his word. If you could stand with me, please. In the name of Jesus, we thank the Lord for the grace he's given us. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we thank you for the ministries of God. Yes. We thank you that everything he has said is true. And everything he has revealed is true. Yes. Father God, teach us on materialism. Teach us to see as you see. To yes. perceive as you perceive. To be sensitive to the Holy yes. Spirit. Yes. Father, to be responsible for every gift, every talent, every resource that you have given us, and how to administer it to the glory of God. Yes. Let us not be held by the things that we hold. Yes. Let us not be turned to materialistic persons and get into the wrong frame of mind concerning your wealth, your interests, or your devices to bring us to yourself. Yes, but guide us clearly and safely and directly. By the Holy Spirit. Daddy, give us boldness to speak to our neighbor, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, those who may not understand this message, those who may not understand this message from the Holy Spirit. Help us tell them about this God who is bigger than their possessions, bigger than their materialism, and draw them into this truth in love. In Jesus' name we pray.